You're listening to the weekly Joel Klatt segment podcast. Listen to it live every Wednesday between 8 and 8.30 a.m. during the football season. Presented exclusively by Audi Flatirons in Broomfield. Exceeding your experience from the first mile to the last. All right, Joel Klatt joins us now for his weekly chat as he is presented by Audi Flatirons. All right, Joel, good morning. I know we're kind of throwing this at you, but uh, again, a, a DenverFan.com exclusive. We've got a, a source who has uh, told us here at The Fan, close to Byron Allen, the media mogul, that he is, quote, all in on attempting to buy the Broncos and that he has secured the necessary funds to purchase the Broncos. Your uh, initial reaction to that? Well, I, I, I always talk about the ownership issues of this, franchise and that they need to be solved and that um, usually now not a hundred percent but usually in pro sports you know no organization has top line success championship success without uh, really solid foundation from the ownership position so you know I think that the the quicker that this gets solved for the Denver Broncos the better um, I'm not unfortunately like I'm not all that researched, right, and, and Mr. Nelson. Um, but I will tell you that I personally believe, now this could be totally anecdotal, but I personally believe that the the single owner is better than these ownership groups that come in. Because when there's too many cooks in the kitchen, that's not leadership. That's just a, a, a a venture capital group, you know, or, or private equity group that comes in and, and you never know who, who really is pulling the strings and, and what the actual philosophy is. Now it's worked for the Los Angeles Dodgers in baseball. Uh, but that might be a little bit different animal, but, but in the NFL, you know, the, the really strong single owner is what has ushered in success for most organizations. Now, again, I know, I know that that's not a hundred percent and people could throw out examples that, that are not, um, that, um, uh, that way or that structure. But when I look at it, top end 30,000 foot view, that's what I would rather have versus these groups of people that get together, which generally are fronted by like one or two famous people generally from, uh, the sports world, whether it's, again, the Magic Johnson, uh, you know, because I know uh, the reason I bring that up is because I know there's been groups with Peyton Manning and or John Elway. And and, and I've always been leery of that just because if you're going to have a leader, the owner is the leader of the organization. And you want somebody that is singular and strong and can paint a, a solid vision. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's interesting, the ownership group kind of philosophy, Joel, and. Uh, you know, do you, I mean, honestly, how hard is it, do you think? And, and I, I don't think any of us know, but how hard is it to to be the front of that when you got everybody behind you saying, hey, we need this, we need that? I, I think that's, I think that to me is the hardest part of this. Uh, of being I, I group, agree. Right? Uh, yeah, I agree. And, and it's because I don't think that you can be 100% personally convicted as that front person, if it's a group, because inevitably you've had to compromise at least 1%, you know, or 2% or 3% of what you actually believe vision wise or direction wise. And you've had to compromise some degree could be small, could be a lot, but when it, when it's that way, that front person is, is not a hundred percent convicted. They're more a spokesman uh, for the group. And, 
And then, you know, then it becomes, you know, your Kaylee McEnany or your Jen Psaki, and you're just getting ripped apart because you're just a mouthpiece for an organization where you may not be personally convicted the way that that uh, leader is that you're working for. Okay. Well, we will continue to follow that story as we see what happens with Broncos ownership. Uh, have you had a chance to follow from where you're at how Nathaniel Hackett's putting together his coaching staff? Uh, anything, that, anything that you like or dislike to this point? Um, n- not yet. I think that that the, the staff is is obviously vital. Um, I think that this ownership issue is vital, obviously, but I do think it just comes down to the quarterback. And, and so you, what you, what he's trying to do, I believe, is put together a staff that is going to do one of two things, either be able to lure a championship quarterback to your organization from the NFL, who's, who's proven that he can do it at that top end, or you're trying to put together a staff that can develop someone that you're going to draft so that you can have, you know, success in the first three years of that player's development as a quarterback uh, in their career. So you're trying to either be Zach Taylor or you're trying to be uh, Sean McVay. And and McVay was able to lure, get, you know, uh, Matt Stafford, go in and have top-end success. They're trying to purchase this thing. They're trying to go in. I think the stat was we, we heard from, you know, at least I heard it, uh, from Dan Orlovsky was that they've got nine first round draft picks within their two deep, uh, which is extensive, obviously, from a starter's perspective of, of the 22 starters. And, or you've got the Bengals, which is, hey, we're going to go through some growing pains. And obviously, in their second year, I think that they're probably ahead of schedule, but he put together a staff, and Zach himself is a guy that has a history of development, having coming up, uh, come up through the college ranks. I remember when he was just an assistant coach for shoot Mike Sherman at Texas A&M, you know, so he understands um, how to develop a guy. Zach was instrumental, by the way. When I think of Zach Taylor, I think of a guy, uh, first of all, I played against him when he was at Nebraska. And then I see him at Texas A&M and he was instrumental, by the way, when, when Ryan Tannehill transferred from quarterback to um, or excuse me, from wide receiver to quarterback. And he was the one that worked with him every day. So at his, at his real infancy as a coach, Zach Taylor was a developmental guy. And I'm not saying Joe Burroughs had to, you know, just develop from the ground up, but Zach's the perfect type of guy to have success with a young quarterback. So I think you're trying to go in, in one of two molds. And, and to be honest, I don't know exactly uh, the history of everybody uh, that Nathaniel Hackett has hired, but but I think that that's kind of where I would look at it from. Did you expect this kind of meteoric rise, if you will, especially after the injury uh, of Joe Burrow? <sighs> that's a good question. Well, I, my comparison for him coming out of of college was Joe Montana, and and I, I remember people kind of scoffed at that, but when you He's, he's, he's got the temperament of Montana. He's got a stronger arm than Montana. He is hyper accurate like Montana was, and he plays with amazing footwork and timing and rhythm. And, and what he did, you know, his year that he had at LSU was as good as any that we've ever seen in college football. In fact, I think it's the single best quarterback year 
that that has ever been played in the history of of college football. And and so I thought I thought to myself, boy, he's going to have a chance to be really good at the next level. Now, if you go back to our original topic, which was ownership, when he went to Cincinnati, I thought, boy, that's going to be really tough because historically they have not been strong from a leadership ownership perspective. And it's been widely considered one of the organizations and, and stink, you know, this to be true, widely considered to be one of the bottom organizations in the NFL guys generally do not like playing in Cincinnati because they feel like the organization is cheap. Now that's, that's from my own personal experience of talking with guys that have been through there. hundred percent sure correct. hundred percent. Yeah. And you know, they skimp on, on, uh, meals, um, a training room, you know, they would, I've had stories of guys telling me that they would go in the training room and there would be like a, a rationing of tape. Mm-hmm. And that never happens at like really top end organizations. So I say that to say that was my main concern for Joe Burrow, but this guy has been transformational ever since he left Ohio state in terms of going into a place and he becomes the refrigerator Everybody turns into his temperature. He's not the glass of, of, of water sitting on the counter that turns into the room's temperature. See, I, I used to bring up this analogy all the time with you, Mike. You've got to be either a leader that turns everybody else into your temperature or, or you're going to be a follower and you're going to turn into whatever is around you. And Joe Burrow is the refrigerator. He goes into places and transforms the organization, the entire organization. LSU was floundering, firing coaches, constantly underachieving from where they were from a recruiting perspective. And he goes in there and within two years, they have one of the greatest years in the history of the sport, 15 and 0 win a national championship. Then he goes into a historically really downtrodden organization that a lot of people from the outside in looking uh, from the NFL perspective have always said that that's a poorly run organization. That's been historically cheap that guys don't like to play for. And then the second year he goes to the Super Bowl. He is a trans formative leader. And and that's one thing that you just can't measure and you can't put on a draft evaluation. You just got to experience it. And they're experiencing it right now as they're preparing for the Super Bowl. You know, go back. I'm fascinated by Burroughs ascension to where he's at because he starts at Ohio state. He couldn't win the job there. He goes to LSU and Joel, even if you go back and look like October, like around Halloween, of hit that senior year in at LSU, he still wasn't really on anybody's radar. I mean, he was being talked about as a, a mid-round pick, okay? And then by the end, he had meteorically rose to number one. But how did this guy get to where he's at? Because nobody really saw it coming up until maybe the second half of his senior year at LSU. So when I talked with people around LSU, they said that he came in and just shut his mouth and went to work. And he didn't come in, and it wasn't rah-rah. He had lost the job at Ohio State to, um, oh, gosh, who was it? Dwayne Haskins. Haskins. Yeah, Dwayne Yeah, Haskins. there you go. <clears throat> who, by the way, everyone, yeah, I don't think you can fault Ohio State. I was at a lot of those practices and saw Dwayne and Joe play right next to each other Ohio State made the right decision at the time, at the time. Now, historically, they're going to be, you know, <laughs> shamed for, for allowing that kid to walk out of the door. 
But at the time, Dwayne Haskins was really good. What people fail to realize is the year before this, Dwayne Haskins had gone in for an injured JT Barrett in the Michigan game uh, on the road and basically brought them back. I believe they were down three late in the third quarter. and Dwayne Haskins had brought them back, and, and, and they won the game. And that was a huge moment in that whole organization as far as Dwayne Haskins. And then Haskins had a remarkable year at Ohio State. Remarkable year. And, and Joe had to leave. And he had a pretty good, you know, first year at LSU. But, but nothing that would suggest that he would all of a sudden rise to be the number one pick and a Heisman Trophy winner and then have uh, great success in, the, uh, success in the National Football League. But there was a moment in his first season at LSU that everyone around that that program talks about, and it was there. Uh, I believe it was a loss in in a six or seven overtime game on the road at Texas A and M. It's a game in which the NCAA looked at, in all of their wisdom, quote wisdom, and and changed the overtime rules. So that's why now you have like you've got to go for two it, in every single um, play after the third overtime is because A and M and LSU played this epic long six, seven overtime game uh, in College Station. And that's when Joe was willing his team. They had a lot of injuries that night. He was willing his team into this game and potentially winning this game. And I can't remember if they actually won or not, but it it didn't matter because his status and, and position within that program changed that night. And he became the alpha because of the way he played and willed his team into to a position to win the game. And and that on next off season, then they talk about the fact that you could not be in the building or around the practice field without seeing Joe Burrow either working out in the film room or on the field with Jamar Chase throwing the football, and that the standard for the entire program. And this is a standard, by the way, that they had national championships in their history. They were winning ten games. This was a very high standard at LSU, and yet the standard increased. Now, some say exponentially and others just say dramatically. The standard increase for everybody in the program, coaches included, because of this guy. And it started at that Texas A&M game, the overtime. And so you may not have heard heard about it until October of the senior year, but internally they talk about the standard being absolutely different in the summer before his last year. Then they started playing. They, They weren't necessarily on the radar, and part of that was they were being overshadowed by a team that most thought were better than them, which was the Alabama team with Tua. And so all the oxygen in the college football world was being sucked out of out of the room by Tua Tungavailoa and the Alabama Crimson Tide. And then what happened, Mike, is that they went down there and they beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa, and Joe Burrow was the best player on the field. And that's when everyone started to realize, like, hold on, this guy might be the next Baker Mayfield as far as a, a you know mid-round pick going to the first pick or Kyler Murray he's going to play baseball to the first pick in the draft. And then we had another one with Joe Burrow where there wasn't a lot of talk about him from a draft perspective, from a future perspective. And then all of a sudden after that game in Tuscaloosa, it all changed. And then he had one of the great postseason runs that we've ever seen. And, you know, we witnessed it here firsthand. You were here in the seat that I sit in when Peyton Manning came here and essentially changed the organization. And Joe Burrow did it, and we've seen it now. We've seen Joe Burrow in Cincinnati kind of changing the flow of that organization. And then we get a lot of fans here that say, well, we don't want Aaron Rodgers because he's a three-year rental and he doesn't really make us that much better. Um, oh, that's, which, that's the biggest bunch of crap. That's the dumbest take. I've, uh, 
Um, uh, hopefully, you're not the one saying that. No, but no, my no, goodness. no, no, no. It's I don't think you are because yeah. you're a smart guy, <laughs> right. and that's the dumbest thing I've ever ever heard. Hey, I'm not saying it either. Yeah. No, Mike's not. But like, I'm not like what like Aaron Rodgers on this roster. What does that What does that do if sorry, if they could secure Aaron Rodgers? That was the best. That was the best. I'm sorry. Yeah, you can Mike, see me I wasn't here. Implying. You can I see me here, right? Holding my hand up, going, right. "Hey, it wasn't me." Hold on, hold on, guys, guys, guys. Me neither. Me neither. Oh. Continue. I'm sorry. What did you? I was laughing. I was just, I I was just asking. I, I was asking what. Aaron Rodgers, if they're able to obviously secure the coaching staff, which they did, they got the head coach who has nothing but the you know utmost respect for Rodgers and vice versa. If they're able to secure Rodgers, where is this team in in from a competitive standpoint in the AFC West and championship contention? They have a championship window. Period. I've always said that that's the only thing. Well, this is the the championship window is open, right? And I used to talk about that with 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 Manning. And, and for me, they immediately become a team that is viable for the AFC championship. And, and this might be the wrong way to look at it, but I always view it as if you can be a team that's not just a division championship or, or excuse me, a, a division round team, that, that you can be a team that can go in and host division rounds. And maybe it's different now because I think that the parity in the NFL is so good. And look at the divisional games that we've seen, uh, especially this year. Any one of those, like I think Buffalo could win the Super Bowl. You, you know, I mean, they're, they're 13 seconds away from probably being the team that's representing the AFC. But they're in that class. If Denver gets Aaron Rodgers, they are in that class. They are immediately in the conversation with the Chiefs, Bills, Bengals, and, you know, throw whoever else you want to in there, they are immediately ready to go. And, and I think anyone who suggests otherwise is, is foolish, quite frankly. And why wouldn't you take a rental? All you're trying to do in professional sports is open your championship window, whether it's for a year, for 30 minutes, for two years, for 10 years. And, and you only become a team that can have a, a, a player that opens your championship window for 10 years, if you either stumble upon him in the sixth round of the draft via the New England Patriots, or you find that person in the first round of the draft. I don't think that there is a 10-year championship window quarterback available in this year's NFL draft. I'll just state that now. Aaron Rodgers gives you a chance to win a Super Bowl. That's all you're trying to do. Is it worth it right now for the Los Angeles Rams, what they're doing? Mortgaging yes. the future, yes. going after yes, because they've got sixty minutes to win a Super Bowl. This is what it's about, folks. All right, thirty seconds. Who you got on Sunday? I'm going to go with the the Rams. Um, I just they are going to be more desperate for it, and and I don't think that they're going to play tight. I think that they're going to go out there and let it all hang loose. And I don't think Sean McVay is going to make the same mistakes he did. Um, in his first Super Bowl appearance where they just flat laid an egg. All right. Joel, thank you very much. Love it. See you guys. Joel See Platt, you. presented by Audi Flatirons. Again, uh, DenverFan.com, you can check it out, but a fan exclusive, a source close to Byron Allen has told us here at The Fan that Allen has the necessary funds to purchase the Broncos franchise. Let's learn more about Byron Allen. A, a friend of mine has reached out to me. He works for Byron Allen. Really? Has had many personal interactions with Byron Allen. 
What kind of guy is he? What kind of leader is he? What kind of boss is he? Tell you next. Hello, this is Ryan Watson, Vice President and General Manager of Audi Flatirons and Audi Boulder Service. When was the last time a dealership delivered the experience you were looking for? Have you ever felt that buying a car was solely about making the sale? It should be about the relationship, beginning with your commitment to do business with us and continuing through the years to follow. Our team is dedicated to exceeding your expectations from the first mile to the last. Come see us in person or visit us online at AudiFlatirons.com or AudiBoulderService.com. 